0: Well, I'm excited to um, be able to uh, carry the message today out of the book of Exodus. I've appreciated so much the things that have been done so far uh, related to, uh, of course, Russ telling the story, setting it up was fantastic, making the point that this is our story, that in Exodus God is is telling the story, our story, and we are part of that story, so uh, did a great job of setting that up. I will draw from a couple of things that he said today. But uh, And then, Will, last week, uh, you know, for our baby dedication, bringing focus on on Moses and parenthood and how significant that is and, and fulfilling the story that God has for us. Because this story is about us. It's, uh, you know, the story in Exodus, God's making a people who will be the light of the world. I love the fact that Russ brought that out. He said that to show God is calling a people to himself for the first time, when the first part of, you know, in Genesis, it's always about the patriarchs, but in Exodus, it's about God calling a people to himself, uh, to show people how to have a relationship with him, and we are still in that, you know, we we are existing in that, we are chosen to be that, we are completing that, Um, those people were chosen to be the ones that would tell, as Russ said, the the truth about everything. Because what God tells us in this story of God is the truth about it. It reveals the truth about everything. So that was a call for, for uh, Israel. It's what God's doing in the life of Israel. but It's what God has completed in us. And really, as we've been talking about this, is, she wants to preach to too. It's, it's, a, it's a family thing. Uh, this is the focus of the study for us. There's a couple of things that are going on here that Will and I were in agreement that God would have us use the book of, uh, of Exodus to reveal this truth. And one of those things is what, what, uh, what Russ has already brought out, and that is that the serpent's head has been crushed, right? That has been completed. Now, we're, as we're reading Exodus, we're reading it, you know, we're reading about a people who have not yet discovered... Uh, who it is that would crush the head of Satan, and they're trying to figure that out through the, uh, through the exodus of Israel and through the Old Testament. But we know that the head of the serpent has been crushed. And so uh, out of Egypt, God called his son, and the plan for redemption has been completed. Uh, scripture shows that. Russ talked about that. So as we're studying exodus, we're looking at then, but we're also focusing on now. And the now that we're focusing on, uh, when we study the Old Testament nowadays, we can't not see the, how it points to the New Testament. And when we study anything in the Bible, we have to make application to what God is doing in the life of our body. And so we can celebrate some of the things that we've already talked about. We received a challenge last week from the story of Moses. That's a, that's a challenge that says that's for us for now. It's completing the story and, and giving... Uh, the value to our children that's due them as we think about them perpetuating the story of God and spreading the story of God. But also, I guess the biggest thing for us right now is just to realize that God is wanting, God still has the same call for us that He had for, for Moses. You know, as Will and I are preaching through this, these messages and whoever else might end up in the, in the, on the platform on a Sunday morning, as we're preaching through these messages, I just want us to recognize that that, that this message is that we're not the Israelites in this message. I don't know how you have related to the Exodus story through your life, but when we talk about Exodus, we we generally think about those Israelite people. How could they be so stupid, right? How could they have... Encounter after encounter with God and God comes and gets them and saves them. hears their cry, brings them out of bondage. And it's not, you know, the next day as they walk out of bondage, our same day, they, they doubt God, you know. And we, we can all relate to that. But I think for this study, we're not trying to relate to the Israelite people. I want you to see yourself, we want you to see yourself as Moses and Joshua. We want, to see you, we want you to see yourself in the role of those who are fulfilling the call that God has for us as a church, and that is to bring people out of bondage. Y'all with me? This is our call. It's to bring people out of bondage. God doesn't want us to be the ones wavering in our faith and constantly going back and forth about, do we, does God love us? Does God care for us? I mean, hopefully, church, at this point, we're at a place where we recognize who God is. And we're discovering more of him in our lives as we walk with him in obedience. But our call in this study is to see ourselves as as Moses and as Joshua and as people who are calling, people who are stuck in bondage to sin and stuck in bondage to legalism, out of that bondage and into a life of freedom. I love the songs we sang this morning. The gospel message is our message. It is the only message we have to share. And that is that we deserve nothing, that God reaches, re- reaches down to us and he wants to save the whole world and he wants us to be representatives of his light in the world. It's what he chose Israel for and it's what he chose us for. Israel failed miserably, but Moses did pretty good. Joshua followed pretty closely. You know, we all mess up, right? And so did Moses and Joshua, but we want us to see, we want to see what God would have us to do in calling people out of bondage. So I hope you find yourself in that way in the story maybe it'll give you different glasses or different ears to listen with as we go through the study Uh, so Joseph told his brothers one truth about the story of God that uh, that, um, Russ brought out of the story so in, in in the close of Genesis Joseph tells the story of God and this one truth about the story of God is that what they meant for evil God used for good you remember the story and Russ brought that out for us that's a great truth about the story of God, that what, what man means for evil, God means for good. Russ reminded us that uh, we have to know deep in our hearts that the Lord remembers his covenant. He is not one who forgets like us. He's not one that doubts like us or changes his mind, the Bible says. He, he doesn't waver at all in, the, in his promises. His covenant is, is true, and we need to know that deep in our hearts. And it's not because of our goodness, but it's because of his goodness and faithfulness. And in the Exodus story, God's going to show Israel and us who he is in the face of even our reluctance to follow. Even our hesitating and our waffling and uh, moving back and forth, you know, like, like shifting sand. and uh, You know, that we can't make our minds up or be faithful to what God has called us to do. Even in the midst of that, in the face of our reluctance. The story of the exodus of Israel is that God is faithful. So as we dive in today, let's remember, first of all, God is good, right? Y'all with me? Say, oh, yeah. God is good, and his his plan for mankind is perfect. The purpose that God has for us is a perfect plan. The, The problem in history with God and his plan is not God, it's us. It's not that his plan is not what will make us most fulfilled, most content, most uh, satisfied with life and with him. It's that we are messing up. We don't recognize. So let's remember as we dive in today that God is good and his purpose for man is perfect. Let's also remember that God has a plan and the enemy is not going to stand by and let that happen without trying to interrupt it. Okay? But on the heels of that, If we haven't learned this lesson in our church already, let's remember this lesson, okay? And let's learn it for good. That the enemy will not win or even have small victories. He is absolutely defeated. Y'all with me? He's not having small victories in your life. Satan is not having small victories in your life. He's not winning sometimes and losing sometimes. Uh, you know, I've heard people say, well, you know, Satan might win the battle, but God's won the war. No, God won every battle. And we're going to see it in the book of Exodus. In fact, we're going we're to go back to chapter one today and just hit a couple of points uh, that sets up Exodus for us. Where God shows that it doesn't matter what Satan does, we are God's people, and God has already won the battle. The victory has already been won. Every battle, every victory has been won by God. And when Satan can't raise. Uh, when Satan tries to raise up some type of force against God, his attempts are controlled by God and then they're used by God to accomplish God's purpose. Y'all with me? So Satan has no victories. He has no, he, we're not losing ground at any point in our Christian life. We're not backing up in our Christian life. You know, some of you have have shared different times, and this has been one of those times, where a number of you have shared some struggles that you're having because of transition that's going on and how you feel about life and how you feel about your relationship with God. let me just tell you, that is victory. It's not defeat. Your feelings of inadequacy, your doubts that come in your life are not to destroy you. They're They're to be used by God to build you up. And Satan thinks he has a victory. So quit believing what he's saying. Just go ahead and use what... God has allowed Satan to bring into your life to get your victory. Satan cannot raise up a force against God. His attempts are controlled by God and used by God to accomplish his purposes for his people. All right? So Matthew Henry says this. When men are projecting the church's ruin, God is preparing for its salvation. That's the story of Exodus. You know, pe- people will say, oh, we're about to be destroyed. Men, men are projecting that the church is about to be ruined. Everything's about to fall apart. Matthew Henry says in the middle of that, God is preparing for its salvation. Trust that. Believe in that. Let's have those things in mind as we go through this. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said this to his disciples in the transition of his ministry from Leaving, leaving the, the disciples and promising the Holy Spirit in, in chapter 16, uh, here's what he says. He says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. He's already overcome the world. In Exodus 1, let's open there. I won't have these passages up if you want to follow along. You can follow along in your faith app. But in Exodus 1, it seems that Satan is going to use powerful men to accomplish his purposes. This is prior to the birth of Moses. In chapter 1, verses 8 through 22, let's read that. And I just want to show you what God does. Show you that when Satan thinks he has a victory, that God uh, is just using him for for his own victory. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, okay? This is after Joseph as we Will pointed out last week, after Joseph uh, brought his family to Egypt and the famine was over uh, and the new Pharaoh comes in and a new king and he hates, uh, he's, he's afraid of the Israelites. And so he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let's deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's store cities, Pithom and Ram- Ramses. But the more that they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were uh, in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel worked as slaves, and then they made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. And then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named uh, Sephira, uh, uh, and the other was Pua, When you serve as midwife in the Hebrew women, And see them on the birth stool. If it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. But let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this? And let the male children live. Midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women for they're vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and grew very strong and became, and because the midwives feared God, they gave them family, he gave them families. And then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. All right. Do you see all this that's going on? You see all of what man would say, the ruin of the church is coming. The ruin of God's people is on its way. Uh, God began to bless the people because of Joseph and the favor that he had gained uh, with the Pharaoh in Egypt. And then all of a sudden, a new king comes in and deals shrewdly with them due to the fear that he had of their numbers. So is Israel going to be controlled by the whims of a king who's uh, acting in fear? Is, is the creator of the universe and the, the God who has created and, and given a covenant with with man in Israel, is he going to be caught off guard and be controlled by the whims of this evil king? I don't think so. Look at what all goes on. He he they, he. Out of fear, he brings in harsh labor task and taskmasters. Uh, in ancient Egypt, they had rods and whips. So it's hard labor. They're being beaten and they're uh, using them as builders. To and they're keeping them. They think, keeping them so busy, that they're going to be too tired to multiply, which is what God said would happen with Israel, right? You will, be, you will multiply, and, and you will be a great nation for me. God told Abraham, this is the covenant, and the, and the covenant continues. God's covenant is not taken back, so we'll work them hard. That'll take care of it, and God said that they would multiply, and so the Bible says that the more that they oppress them, the more that they multiply. Did you notice that in the text? as they're being oppressed, heavily oppressed, that they're, they're multiplying more and taking more land. So, so, so then Pharaoh says, okay, let's increase the labor. So uh, the labor increases to the point that the people of Israel were treated as slaves. And, and then he thinks, well, let's make arrangements then with these two midwives. Yeah, because that's not working. These two midwife companies really is what most of the uh, scholars believe that was, not just two women, but two midwives who kind of headed up midwifery in, uh, in Egypt at the time. And so you got these two midwives who are heading up these two midwife companies, and now they'll be destroyed. We'll just tell them to kill the male babies. But God said they would multiply. So God, what does he do? He touches these, these midwives in a way that they refuse to kill the babies. And then the midwives get, not only do the babies not die because God has it under control, uh, but also now these midwives are able to, are being blessed as a result of it. And they're able to bear their own children. And So then Pharaoh makes his strongest effort. He commands that all the Hebrew babies be thrown into the Nile by Egyptians. If you see a Hebrew baby, a male baby, throw it into the Nile. God dealt with these midwives, and God dealt with the people, and the scripture said in verse 20, they multiplied and grew very strong. You know, Satan does not, is not going to affect the covenant that God makes with his people. This covenant that we have with God, where he would be our God and we would be his people, and, and, and in this sense that God would multiply Abraham's seed and build a great nation, there's nothing that Satan can do to stop that, and everything he does just increases it. So we need to recognize as we start to study, as we move forward in this study of, of Exodus that in the world you're going to have tribulation. It doesn't mean we're going to have a smooth, uh, smooth sailing all the time, right? We're going to have tribulation. That's what happens in this world, but we are not living in this world. We're living in the kingdom of God. We live in a whole other kingdom. This world is but a vapor, the Bible says, We're going to have tribulations, but God's already overcome the world. He has crushed the head of the enemy who has the freedom at this point to to roam around in the world. Nothing's going to separate us from the promise of God. His will is going to be accomplished. No power on earth, no matter how much it seems to have control, must submit to God and cannot thwart the promise of God. So listen, church, before we get into Exodus chapter 2, let me just say, in a way of getting our minds fixed on our call and God's determination to touch the world through us, that we need to, we need to know the God that we serve, and we need to know that his covenant is true, and that what he said he will complete. And sometimes in the throes of persecution, we forget That God is ever-present and ever-faithful. God's not going to leave us alone. And I know some of you are in the throes of persecution in different ways. I know that because I am. And I know that as we press to move forward in the cause of Christ, that, that, that we are going to face the enemy's wrath. And he's trying to defeat us. But we need to know that we know that we know that God's faithful and present. And we are his children when we're never outside of the care and provision of God. Y'all with me? Okay? Stay with the Lord in this. Don't allow the enemy to deceive you into thinking that you're defeated. You have the victory already. So then we see this next story happen. And this, is this, you know, we carry the life of Moses. We talked about his birth last week. And, and you see in the birth of Moses, again, oh, I got it. This is what we'll do. We'll throw these babies into the Nile River and destroy them, and we'll, we'll, let, the, we'll let the Egyptians do it because they don't like the Israelites anyway. So throw the male babies into the water, and then what does God do? God takes a male baby of a, a, a Hebrew woman, um, and he takes the healthiest one, this strong baby. The Bible describes him as a strong, healthy child, and takes him, and God saves him. He gives him time enough with his family, as Will talked about last week, to to put into his little life these things that he needs. uh, Just a few months, but significant months, as you new moms know. These first few months with our babies are are huge. Pours in that baby the things that it needs, and then God gives him more months with mom uh, by choosing her as the nurse, and God does an intervention there. Uh, Not that it wasn't already planned. Not that it accidentally happened in any way. God had a plan and Satan thought he had him, and he didn't. Not only did he not have him, but Satan used that plan to get Moses into the family that he needed to be in without sacrificing all that he would gain from his own family. Y'all with me? God's on top of it. There's no accident that's happening in the story of Moses and Israel. God's trying to show us that he is in control. All right, now let's pick up, because I, here's, the, here's the other thing I want to show you. Today I want us to talk for the finish finish our sermon out. And some of you think, "You mean you're not finished?" Seems like his Russ only went okay, 15 minutes, and then he showed two videos. All right. The good thing is you don't have to hear me every week, right? All right, but here it is. Listen, here's another thing we need to know. Okay, we've we've seen in the story of Moses so far, or in the story of Exodus so far, God's relationship to His people so far that there is no evil person no scheme of the devil that can that will not be not only that cannot destroy god's word but will not even affect it in the smallest way except that it will increase what god will do with his people okay we see that but here's what a lot of us don't believe a lot of us don't believe that we can't mess up the plan Oh, we understand that God has Satan on, on a leash, but he doesn't have us. He, he can't stop us from messing everything up. Right? We think we're going to mess it up. And we think we're powerful enough to mess up God's plan. And, and listen, that's a subtle, a subtle uh, deception of the enemy. He still uses that in my life. I've been, been in ministry for 40 years. And I still get caught thinking wrong about this truth from from Scripture. So we're going to see it in Moses' life today before we close. Exodus 2, 11 to 15. We'll read that, look at a few points, and we're out of here. Y'all with me? Say yep. yep. All right, here we go. Exodus 2, 11 to 15. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people, and he looked on their burdens. All right? Remember, he's the prince of Egypt at this point. So he's the prince looking out on his people, Israel. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. And he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews, his people, were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you a prince or a judge over us? You might be the prince of Egypt, but you're not a prince over us, he says. Uh, do you mean to kill me as you did, as you killed the Egyptian? Oops, apparently didn't look, he looked left and right before I got, got to look behind him, right? He looked this, this way and that, but he didn't look the other. And so somebody saw it. And so Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. All right, that's all we got today. Here we go. I'm going to unpack it. But then we're going to stop. So, verse 11. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. All right, as we start thinking about ourselves as Moses in this story. And we start thinking about the, the, the story of God, which is our story, that we are the people, that the light that would be for the world, right? That we would represent God now in the world. We are those people. We need to learn this from Moses. First of all, Moses had a passion and a desire to, to minister to and take care of his people. God had given Moses this this heart for his people. That may not seem like much to many of you, but here's here's the thing about Moses. Moses had everything he wanted. Moses had everything a man could want in the flesh. He he was living as royalty, a prince in Egypt. Moses didn't need anything. He he wasn't longing for something, uh, something to add to his collection of things in his life. He He had plenty of stuff on the shelves of his house and in his toy box. He had all he wanted. He was in control. He was was a prince, the son of a princess. And yet, there was something that was so in his heart that it, it was stronger than his desire to have all these possessions. And God had put it there. And that was a love for the people. That were in bondage. Moses had a love and a passion and a heart for the people that were in bondage, and it doesn't make sense coming from where Moses came from. He had everything already. Why does he have this in his heart? It's for one reason and one reason only God put it in his heart. God can, God can put things in our hearts as his children. When you become a follower of God, you become one of his children, the children of Israel. You become one, a part of the family. Part of this story is that God is the one responsible for putting a love for the, the people in bondage in our heart. He has to put it in our hearts. We don't normally think about other people. We are born with an innate, very quickly we find out that our children are born with an innate desire to take care of themselves and themselves only. It's called egocentrism. And they are all about themselves. They don't want to have anything to do with anybody else. Everything that everybody has is theirs. It's mine, mine, mine. We've all heard it, and we've all been offended by it. We've all tried to correct our children when they're that way. And we're the same way, right? We're all about ourselves. It's not natural for us to have our heart for people that are out in bondage in the world. So for us, uh, for, for Moses, it was the people of Israel were in bondage. For us, it's the people who are lost in sin and the people who are in bondage to sin and can't find their way out. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need to know that there's a God who loves them. We've got to be the ones to spread that message. But we're not going to do that. Listen, if I have to tell you, if I have to stand here from Sunday to Sunday, if Will and I have to preach to you and convince you every week you need to go do this, and you go out there and you make an effort to win somebody to Christ in your own power, you're missing the whole point. And God shows it in the story. But there was something in his heart, and, he, and, and God had put it there. And God, listen, pray for God to put that in your heart. We're getting good at community. We're not getting good at blessing people. I mean, I say that. I'm not hearing stories. I'm hearing lots of stories, and I'm, I'm on everybody's Facebook feed for Life Groups. I'm hearing a lot of things about how much we enjoy each other in group, but I'm not hearing anybody telling stories about the friends that are lost friends that they're developing relationships with. By the way, this is the Feast of February. We're halfway through. Have you had a feast with somebody that's not a believer or somebody that's wandering around? It needs to be touched. If not, get after it. Okay, we've got half a month left. Uh, Again, don't do it out of guilt. Don't do it because the pastor said so. But I know you have this in your heart because you have the Holy Spirit living there. And the Holy Spirit puts that desire in us to to reach out to those who are lost and wandering. So that happens with Moses. And it shows up. But in verse 12, he looks this way and that and seeing no one, he strikes down the Egyptian and he hid him in the sand. Moses was going to accomplish God's plan and fulfill the desire of his heart, but he was going to do it his way. Man, we need to hear that. If we're going to be part of the story of God, our role in bringing light to the world is to make sure that, that we are bringing light God's way. I think the, the, the uh, indictment on the church today for, for me the indictment that I feel like uh, that I sit in, have sat in, and trying to get out of is, is a true indictment from the Lord, and that is that we are trying to accomplish God's will. Which he put in our hearts to accomplish, but we're trying to do it our way. We've got so many ways, so many creative and fun ways and technologically advanced ways. We've got all these ways that, that we can accomplish God's will our way, and, and we're not asking God about that. Moses tries to do God's will his way. He tries to accomplish and fulfill this thing that God put in his heart, but he tries to do it his own way. He tries to do it quickly, and God will not have it done quickly, apparently, with Israel, right? This is going to be a long process. This is going to be hundreds of years of wandering around trying to get these people out of bondage. But Moses wanted to do it quickly. He wanted to do it using his position. And God didn't want that. God wanted to show them that he was doing it. Not that Moses was doing it because he had this great position. I've been guilty of that. Maybe you have too. Uh, Moses was going to try to do it with the assumption that he was already ready. That because God put this desire in his heart, well, then I'm ready. I'm going to get this thing done. No, you're not. You're about to spend 40 years in the wilderness getting ready. You are not ready. You you are ready to do something in your own power, but you're not ready to do something the way I want it done. You're not ready to be a light for me in the world. And he was ready to do it in secret, like a, like a sniper, right? He's going to kill one and maybe kill another one another day and take them out one at a time in secret. And God is not about to do what he's doing in secret. The whole point is that God wants to be a light. He wants Moses to be a light to Israel in the world. He wants them to be a light so that they can see who God is through the life of Moses and that they would desire God, not desire Moses. And then we're going to see that's a hard thing for Moses to, for God to accomplish through Moses because the people are so determined to stay in bondage. But God doesn't want this done in secret. He wants it to be done in public, out in the open. God wants to show himself through Moses. And finally, there's somebody I can use to show myself through So Moses was going to accomplish God's plan his way. Let me just pause for a second and make a point and we'll move on. But listen, we don't need to try and figure out a way to accomplish God's plan. God is the architect of this this church. We are not the architect. When when we come to you with things that God tells us to do, we're not coming to you with good ideas. matter of fact, they sound like bad ideas a lot of the time. We're not coming to you with our plans and things that we scheme together as elders trying to figure out what to do. We're not looking around at other churches and saying, wow, that seems like it works. All we're doing is we're going to God directly and saying, God, we know that you have a plan because this is who you are. That You want to bring people out of bondage and you want to use us to be a light to the world. But God, we need you to tell us how to do that because the world is screwed up and so are we. We need your help. And I love that about God, is that he doesn't give up on Moses. In verses 13 to 14a, look at what he says. When he went out to the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? You mean to kill me as you did the Egyptian? The people he was trying to save. The people that God had put in his heart to save from the bondage were resisting him because he was doing it his own way. That's significant. Y'all with me? These are Hebrews. These are the ones that Moses has the heart to go and save. He desires to bring them out of bondage. He wants to help them, and they're turning against him. You know why? Because he's doing it his way. I had about an hour-long conversation with a gentleman this past week who has been in church in a church where they are doing it their way and it's obvious because I've been there I know what that feels like okay I have done it my way and I'm just telling you this church is full of ways to do things and he is turned off by all of it and he's confused I'm not confused when I read this passage I understand that when when I try to do things my way the people that are really in bondage to legalism and in bondage to sin and that God wants to draw to himself, they're not interested in what I have to offer. The good news for us as a church is that we know better and there are people in our day, mostly millennials and Generation Z who are out there who are desiring something real. They want to have a relationship with God and they will not be put off by religious answers. And the emptiness of dead religion are the excitement of uh, alive religious practices. They want to know God. And it might be, as A.W. As Tozer says, it might be a cloud the size of a man's hand. But in that cloud of people lies the potential for revival and for the light of God to be seen in this world. And, and we are called to reach them. But we can't do it our way. And because when we do it our way, the results are going to be just like this. People are going, to, are, are going to resist. God wasn't simply going to bring. Listen, God is not just bringing his people out of bondage. He is gathering them in. Let me say that again. Y'all with me? God is not just bringing his people out of bondage. He's gathering them to himself. Gathering place. That's, what, that's where our name come, came from, that, that notorious sinners and tax collectors were gathering around Jesus to hear what he had to say. We're not trying to gather people to us. And God is not, doesn't want to use us to gather people to us and fill this room up and feel good about ourselves Sunday after Sunday. God has a goal and a plan for us to be a part of gathering in those who are out in bondage to sin and to legalism and to draw them to him. He wants them out of bondage. He hears their cries, but he wants to draw them to himself. He wants to gather them in to himself. And so we want to make sure that we're not trying to accomplish God's plan our way. You might get frustrated with us at times and say, well, this is, I don't like this plan. Well, me either at times, you know. But the truth is, God has a plan and we're going to walk in it. And it may be the wildest thing you ever heard. And you may get tired of it, and you may walk out. My prayer is that you'll stay the course with us, that you'll go to God yourself and get, it, get his answer. And, you'll, and, and we've always stayed in unity here because we all go to God, not just the leaders. All right, one more thing that happens. <laughs> Moses, Moses' life becomes chaotic, and he ends up in fear. Look at it in verses 14b and 15. Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. Then Pharaoh heard of it. He sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. So here's what's going on. When we operate in our own power, Moses operates in his own power. And it results in a re- rejection from his own people. And rejection from those that God is trying to draw to himself. And it results in chaos and fear for Moses. If we're going to try to do something for God our way in joining God in this task of freeing people, if we're going to try and do it our way, it will end up in resistance from those who we're trying to free, and it will end up in our lives being chaotic, and we will live our lives in fear. We've got to stay focused on what God's called us to do. The Exodus... The Exodus is a story of God keeping his covenant in the face of opposition. And Satan cannot destroy it by people that are on the outside who despise us. And he can't, we can't destroy it by going the wrong direction. You know what God will do? Whatever is necessary. He will grab us where we are. He will show us the, the emptiness and the lack of effectiveness of our own plan of taking things matters in our own hand to be the light of That the way that everybody says we should in the world. He will take all of that out and then he'll, the best place we can be is to sit down by the well. I love that ending for today's message. Moses sat down by a well. He flees to Midian, not by accident. Some great things are going to happen in Midian for him. But he flees to Midian and he sits down by a well. Now Moses you're in the right place. Okay? Now you're in the right place. Sit down by the well and, and let me start doing my work in you. And then I'll be able to make you a light. Then I'll be able to use you to bring people out of bondage. But we got to spend more time sitting by the well. Y'all with me? Man, listen, when I read that and thought that, I thought, Man, that, that's the hard- isn't that the hardest thing for us to do? Is to sit down by the Well, you Make that what you want to, but in my mind, I'm thinking sit down by the well. I'm thinking the well is Christ, abiding in him, drinking in the word of God, drinking, sitting in prayer, being quiet and still and listening instead of scheming and trying to plan and get our own ideas of what we need to do to reach a lost world. Let's just sit by the well. Let's get full of water. And then the Bible says at some point we will be like streams of living water, right? Out there being wells to the people that are looking for him. All right, so our, our, our exciting news today as we walk through this, this story is that as Moses, as little Moses, Mosiah, is that Moses in plural? As, as little Joshua's, that, that we don't have to have a plan, that we don't have to be in control. As a matter of fact, if we, we can just start praying and asking God to put in our hearts a desire to love people, A desire to bring people out of bondage and then ask God to show us exactly what to do and sit by the well every day. Sit by the well every day. So let me ask you just to evaluate yourself. Are you sitting by the well? That's where that's where the heart for lost people is going to come from. Sit by the well. Ask God. Pray pray about the lost people. Bless them. And the first letter of bless is B, which stands for begin with what? prayer so pray get by the well pray ask God what to do wait on God right now I keep getting in scriptures for me wait on the Lord wait this morning's readings full of that wait on the Lord sitting by the well and waiting is a good thing God creates a character whenever we start sitting by the well and we're going to see more of that next week all right but sit by the well this week the Lord to give you a heart for the loss. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that you're speaking to us, God, how you're opening things up for us. And uh, God, I thank you that you put us in this book for now and that you have a lesson that you want to teach us about what it means to be light in in a world, to call people who are stuck in bondage to sin and to legalistic ideas and rules and regulations and list of rules to follow God you've given us a blessing of being able to see grace and the truth of the gospel has affected us in such a way God that we rejoice and enjoy our relationship with you and we want that for them so God help us to call them out put put a heart's desire in us that far exceeds taking care of things for ourselves and having all the things that the world has to offer us and God, give us a desire to reach out to those who are lost and wandering all around us, God. Bring people to our mind, our workplace, and our neighborhoods. God, bring people into our our minds and our own families that we need to spend time with and bless. And then God, show us what to do. We are absolutely dependent on you. We will learn the lesson today from Moses and not take matters into our own hands. But we'll wait on you. God, work, move in the lives of the people that are on our hearts. Before I say amen, while your heads are bowed, I just want you to think about, is there somebody in your life that you want to just whisper a prayer to God for? Someone who's out there who's wandering or lost? A believer who's stuck in bondage? a person who's not a believer, who's stuck in bondage to sin, just whisper a prayer for them today and ask God to show himself in their lives, to reveal himself to them and to show you what to do. And they will worship.